Well, tonight's the last night of our Taboo series. If you've been with us throughout it, we've touched on some touchy topics, and tonight will be no different. Uh, but before we get into that, I want us to learn a little bit about each other. So, uh, if you are the type of person who, if you had a booger dangling from your nose, or if you had like some toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your shoe, or maybe your buttons were off, right, and like it just looked really weird, or you had something leafy and green stuck in your teeth, if that was you, you're walking around with something embarrassing going on, raise your hand if you would like for someone to tell you, okay? Look around the room, a lot of people. Mostly check your friends. Keep them up, keep them up. If you want to be told, hey, bro, you got some gunk on your face, okay? All right, put your hands down. If you would be mortified and you're just like, please let me live in ignorance, just raise your hands. Anybody? Okay, I see like one or two hands, but you're like, please don't even make me raise my hand. I don't, I don't want to do that. Uh, I am in the former camp. Like, if you see something, please tell me. Uh, I, I talked with somebody about that this week, just kind of prepping for this message. They're like, I would just like to think maybe I can go home and then I'll tell myself, no one noticed. I'm like, dude, everyone noticed. What are you talking about? Um, tell me. Like, I, I want to be told, and it seems like most of you also want to be told, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you maybe feel like really embarrassed afterward, you want to be told. There's a proverb I want you to see uh, as we kind of go into things tonight. Uh, it's one of my favorite proverbs. From 27.6, it says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. What's this saying? I'd rather have somebody I love tell me something that's a little bit difficult for me to digest than have someone who doesn't care about me at all just blow smoke up my butt. Like, that does me no good in the long run. Now, the key here is a sincere friend. If some stranger on the street wants to start dropping truth bombs, that's a little bit different, Right? But a close friend, I want them to be able to tell me something that's hard rather than someone who doesn't really care enough about me to tell me something difficult, just tell me whatever I want to hear. So aside, before we even get into this tonight, if you're the type of person who, like, you pull your punches, you think you're being a good friend, you're really not. Be a better friend, speak some hard truths in love. And that brings us back to our theme verse. We've hit this every single week of our series, Ephesians 4.15, if you've not bothered Wrestling with this, considering memorizing this, I just want to challenge you, spend some time with this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. We hit that a lot in the first week of this series. If you've got all truth and no love, you are harsh. But if you've got all love and no truth, everything is relative and there's really no baseline uh, that we can live from. So we speak the truth in love. The middle part says growing in every way more and more like Christ. That is our goal, to be more like Jesus. That's a process called sanctification. Fancy word if you want to go home and share that. And tonight, I don't want you to miss this last part of this verse. It says, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We believe that Jesus is the head of the body. We believe Jesus is in charge. We say Jesus is Lord. And so what we mean when we say that is Jesus gets to set the standard for literally everything. He created us. And he gets to say what is right, what is wrong, what is permissible, what is not. And that doesn't rest easy with some of us because we like to be the ultimate authority in our own lives. But we want to speak the truth in love. We want to be more and more like Christ and acknowledge him as Lord. Some of us just like the idea of Jesus as Savior. We don't want to go to hell. 
But man, we sure don't want Jesus to be able to tell us what to do on a day-to-day basis. The reality is, you can't have one without the other. Uh, So my goal tonight is to speak truth in love. Uh, You know where we're going tonight if you've been here. We talked about politics the first week. We talked about what does it truly mean to be pro-life last week. Tonight, we're talking about gender. We're talking about sexuality. This is a tough one. Tough conversations. Maybe you've had some of these conversations uh, in school or amongst your friend group or, or wherever. Uh, my goal again tonight, speak some truth in love. And, and as we get into this, I, I just want you to consider what does God say? Any of these hard conversations that we're having. And there's a lot. We could have kept going this taboo series for weeks and weeks and weeks. What does God say about this? And do you care? Because you can know what God says and be like, I reject that. I don't, it means nothing to me. It's not going to affect how I live my life. So what does God say and do you care? That You've got to start in that place. So let's talk a little bit about gender. This week I was, I was doing a lot of research. Um, just full transparency. This is not a subject that I feel like I am the most equipped person to come and have a conversation about. And then I'm like, who came up with this idea to do this series? Me. Uh, whoops. And so uh, here we are. But I was reading a lot about gender because um, some people mean different things when they say that term. Like when I say the word gender, I typically mean male, female, boy or girl. And that used to be kind of the accepted understanding of what that word means. Now, it really is not accepted that way generally in society. Now people will say, what you're talking about, Kevin, is sex. So male or female, gender is something else to other people. And, and the definition that I looked up, uh, is, this is what they said. Uh, gender is your gender expression or gender identity. So not just male or female, but a whole spectrum. And, and gender identity is how people feel about their gender. So uh, if your biological sex matches your gender, they would say you're cisgender. You probably know that term, right? So I am a male. I feel that I am male, believe I am male, so I would be cisgendered to somebody. And like, I know it's uncomfortable. Some of y'all are like, hee hee, Kevin, you're so dumb. I know more than you. You probably do. But just, just bear with me. We're, we're walking through this. Now, if you feel like I am not matching what my body parts are, then you are experiencing something called gender dysphoria. And I want to say this right at the beginning. I believe that's real. I believe there are genuinely people out there who don't feel like they match up with their bodies. And we don't need to laugh at them or belittle them or hate on them or make them feel less than. It's a real thing people are going through. Statistically, might be somebody in this room going through that or a loved one of somebody in this room. So hear me, we're not here to bash on anybody or dunk on anybody or I'm not going to give you 10 ways you can get the libs. Like that's not what I'm here to do tonight. I don't think that's speaking truth in love. There are people out there who are wrestling with this. And I found out all kinds of stuff this week. Man, I, I was Googling. I've got a list right here called 72 Other Genders. There's stuff in here, guys. I don't even know how to pronounce. I don't know what it's talking about. I don't understand it. But there are people out there who, like, they're living this. This is their life. And so when we as the church belittle and dismiss and just want to crush them, man, I don't think that's Christ-like. We've got to be careful in how we engage in this conversation, but we do have to engage in it. We can't shy away from it just because it's hard. So let's go to the Bible. I said, what does God say about this? From the very first chapter of the Bible, 
I think this verse is so helpful for us. It's foundational in a lot of ways. So God created human beings. That's huge. Like, do you believe God created all things? If you do, then he has authority over all of them. Created human beings in his own image. That means we believe everyone has inherent dignity, value, and worth. We talked about this last week. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, God set this up. Males and females. He created Adam and then he created Eve. So, yes, the, we believe that. Now, some may say sex, some may say gender. I'm telling you, God created male and female. And there are people today who feel like, well, I'm neither of those things. I'm somewhere on this spectrum. And I'm telling you, the Bible says there's male and female. Now, people start to go, well, gender is a societal construct. And then this week I'm going, man, what, is, what does that even mean? I'm researching. I'm looking at all these websites. Some people, they get into this place of going, okay, well, you're trying to tell me that as a man I have to, you know, I got to be manly and I got to be able to chop down trees and wear camo and hunt and fish and drive a big truck. That's societal. That's, that's society telling you that, that's what a man has to be. What about a man who enjoys the, 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 the arts, who enjoys maybe some of the finer things, maybe enjoys pastel colors, maybe who enjoys you know, some of those things that you would maybe not traditionally associate with a man? What about a girl? What about a girl who likes to do some of those things, likes to be outside, likes to compete, likes to wear camo, like, like well, she's a tomboy, there's something weird about her. No, she just doesn't do exactly what you think she does. She doesn't always have to wear a dress. She doesn't always have to look a certain kind of way. But what I'm telling you is, I do believe God created male and female. We have expectations that we sometimes place on them. I don't know how much that is fair, but... We've got to be willing to understand that God set this up from the very beginning. And I think we need to be a little less quick to dismiss people. And we've got to be willing to sit down and go, okay, when you say this, what do you mean? Like, when you say that term gender, like, what do you mean when you say that? Ask good questions. Listen. Be willing to come back and say, hey, this is, this is what I believe. Like, this is what I think the Bible says. Like, how do you feel about that? Have some back and forth in it. The reality is, I, I think there are non-biblical things out there that are, that are being pushed. I do. It, it shows up more and more. You see it in movies. You see it in songs. You see it all over the place. And it's becoming more acceptable. It's being normalized. What is our biblical response to that? Is it to hate people? Is it to crush them, belittle them? I don't think so. Jesus walked all over and dealt with all kinds of different situations. And he was never hateful. He confronted things. He stood for truth. He called people out when they needed to be called out. But there's a way to go about doing that. And we've got to be cautious. Again, you start dropping truth bombs on strangers out in the street, that's different than someone you know and you love and you've got a relationship with. I hope that makes sense. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about sexuality. Um, I'm using that term. Let me be very clear. And I'm, I'm looking at my notes a lot tonight because I want to make sure I'm, I'm on this. I'm using that term to mean who you're attracted to, who you have romantic feelings towards. And, and tonight, I don't have enough time to sit and talk about every facet of this. I spent hours and hours researching this week. I want to talk predominantly tonight about homosexuality because that's where I feel like there's the most pushback on what do you believe? What does the Bible say? And there's a ton of arguments that get made about what, what does the Bible actually say about this? Um, does the Bible even address it? 
Uh, but before I get into any of that, and, I, and I've got several, I want you to understand something. Society will tell you that the most important thing about you is who you are romantically attracted to. I don't think that's true. I don't think the most significant thing about you is who you are sexually attracted to. There is sex out in everything. They'll sell a hamburger in a commercial with sex. Or a show, you, be, you know what I'm talking about. You'd be watching a show or a movie with your parents, and it's all going great until that one awkward scene, right? You're like, oh, dang, i got to get some more snacks. I'm like, get out of here. Like, it's everywhere. They just drop it in. Sexuality is everywhere, and society's telling you it's the most important thing about you. You have to be having sex. If you're not, you're missing out. It's the best thing. It's the best. Your sexual life is not the most important thing about you. How do I know that? Jesus, who we believe is the most complete human who ever lived, never had sex. He never lived out a romantic relationship. And if Jesus was fully human, he lived a full existence, that means that that's not an essential part of your life. It's not a foundational piece that you have to have. Don't let society tell you that that's the most important thing about you. Now, uh, as far as homosexuality, what does God say and do you care? Because if you don't care then like, you might as well just tune me out for the rest of this time and sit there politely, and then we'll go to groups in a few minutes. But if we're going to care what God says, let's talk about it. Does the Bible address homosexuality? There are people who say, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. Yes, actually it does. Numerous places. The Bible speaks very clearly about this. And there are some who will do linguistic gymnastics to try to say, well, no, the Bible doesn't. It does. I'm telling you. I've done the research. This is what I went to college for. We could sit down if you want together and look at the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic. It's there. I promise you. Now, you shouldn't take my word for it. You should go do the research yourself. But does the Bible address homosexuality? Absolutely, it does. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. What is sin? Sin is actually an archery term. It means to miss the mark. So if you shot at the bullseye and you missed it by this much, that's your sin. That's by how much you have missed the mark. Does the Bible say that homosexuality is a sin? Yes, it does. Very clearly, it says it in numerous places. Now, let me be very clear about this. And not everybody might agree on this. And that's okay. We're having a conversation. Is it a sin to be same-sex attracted? Like, to find someone of your own gender or sex attractive? I would say no. I don't think that's sin. I think all of us have things that we are drawn towards. You might, be drawn, you might be drawn towards violence. Like maybe you just, you were born and you're just a violent person. You want to fight everybody all the time. Can relate. Maybe you were born and you've got a natural draw towards substance abuse. And you know, I got to be real careful. I've got a very addictive personality. I got to be careful. Maybe you were born and you've got just a strong drive towards people of the opposite sex. Or maybe you were born and you've got that draw towards people of the opposite or the, of the same sex. So my point is, all of us have something. I believe that. I do. I think you can be same-sex attracted and realize that Jesus is Lord. He says it's sin, and you don't act on that. And I don't, I don't think you're living in sin. That's my opinion. Not everybody might share that opinion, but if you want to talk more about it, we absolutely can. But the Bible does say that to live out a homosexual lifestyle in a romantic, sexually involved relationship with someone of the same sex, yes, that is sin. Well, some people will go, okay, but the Bible barely mentions it. Like, it's not in there a whole lot. Okay, so let me ask you this question. 
How many times does the Bible have to mention something for it to matter? Once. Once. Now, the Bible actually mentions it far more than some people would like to admit, but if the Bible says it one time, that's, that's enough. Now, why does the Bible not address this more? You're like, I've never really thought about this. Let me tell you, it was a very obvious, egregious sin that very few people were engaging in inside of the covenant community that we see in the Bible. It just wasn't going on. You know what was going on? Greed and people stealing other people's stuff. And that's why we see that stuff talked about so much in both the Old and New Testament. There wasn't a lot of homosexual activity going on. It was just understood. People knew. So that, you're like, well, it's not in there a lot. Yeah, because it wasn't going on a lot. Something to think about. Okay, well, Kevin, that's just the Old Testament. Only the Old Testament talks about that. The New Testament never touches this. False. The New Testament, in fact, does speak about this. It has numerous occasions where it's talked about. Paul, in his most famous letter, which is Romans, you can go look at the back half of Romans 1, it's in there. Uh, in his letter to the church of Corinth, you can see about it there. In his letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, you can see about it there. Like It, it is in the New Testament. Okay, but Jesus never said anything about it. False. Jesus, in fact, did talk about homosexuality. You just might miss it if you don't know what to look for. Mark 7, verses 20 through 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within, and they are what defile you. You're like, Kev, I think you got the wrong passage, man. Homosexuality's not in there. Actually, it is. You see, I've bolded sexual immorality. What's this word? Who wants to try out their Greek? Uh, Greek. That word is pornea. Everybody say pornea. What English word do you think we get from that? Pornography. Pornea was a Greek catch-all term. It's an umbrella term. What it means is any sexual act outside of covenant marriage. That's what Jesus is condemning here. Anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Well, like, how do you know it was between a man and a woman? Because Jesus affirmed what that was. Matthew 19. This is Jesus talking to the religious elite. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record from the beginning. God made them male and female. There's that verse again. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. This is Jesus affirming one man, one woman in a covenant relationship together. And so then you go back, and when he says anything that sexual immorality defiles you, anything that's not a man and a woman married to each other in covenant relationship, that's outside of the bounds of what God says is acceptable. So yes, Jesus did in fact speak about this. And no one hearing Jesus say this would have thought, well, no, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't mean that. They knew. They absolutely knew. Another argument people will say is, well, back in the day, they didn't have committed, loving, sweet, same-sex relationships. Back in the day, they just had uh, people exploiting one another. Particularly, and this is real, this did happen. Older men with younger boys. It happened. And so people go, that's what, that's what the Bible is addressing. No. 
because there's a word for that in the Greek, and that's not what they choose to use in these passages. That's not what is said. And in fact, I'll give you another example, and you could jot this down and go look at it on your own time. I didn't put it on the slides. 1 Corinthians 5. If you don't understand about the letters that Paul wrote, he planted a lot of these churches and then left, and he wrote them letters back. You can go read in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul is a little sideways with the church at Corinth because it's gotten back to him that there's this man who is living in sexual sin with his stepmother. And he hears about it, and he writes to the church and says, I can't believe that you are allowing this to go on. And he tells them, this is clear in God's law. Actually, from Leviticus 18, which is, incidentally, the first chapter in the Bible that mentions homosexuality being an abomination to God. And Paul cites and says, you got to cast these people out. They can't be a part of this. I can't believe you allowed this to go on as long as you have. Paul never asked them, is it loving? Is it committed? Is it kind? Are they tender to each other? He wasn't concerned with that. He said, God says we can't allow this, and that decides it. We struggle with that today, all of us, on something. Maybe not on this subject. You're like, yeah, this is easy. Why are we even talking about this? Because there are some people who don't get this. You might not get it when it comes to something else. If God said it, that decides it. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord. And if you don't believe that, You've got a ways to go in your relationship with God. Well, God made me this way. He wouldn't want me to be unhappy. He wouldn't want me to deny who I am. I've heard that one a lot. I've heard that one a lot. Does God make people gay? Does God make people alcoholics? Does he make people violent? Again, I'm telling you, I think we all have things that we struggle with. And we're called to set aside in pursuit of a relationship with Christ. God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be holy. God is far more concerned with you being holy than he is with you being happy. As some of y'all have been told your whole life, God just wants you to be happy. That is not his chief concern. He wants you holy, set apart, sanctified to be more and more like Jesus, just like in our theme verse. He wouldn't want me to deny myself. Actually, he tells all of us that we have to deny ourselves. Jesus, very famously, Matthew 16, says this. He told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul, the NLT says? All of us are called to deny ourselves. you got something in your life you need to set aside in pursuit of your relationship with Jesus. For some people, that is their same-sex attraction. For others, it is their opposite-sex attraction. For others, it's gambling or drugs, something. that We have to deny ourselves as we pursue relationship with Christ. Now, before some of us in here are like, yeah, take that, be very clear on something. This is not the sin of all sins. This is Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Stop right there before we get to the good news of verse 11. 
There's a whole list of things right here that disqualify people from inheriting the kingdom of God. It's not just homosexuality. We do this thing, though, we want to just, bam, let's get them. Do I believe the Bible's clear on this? I do. Do I believe that all sin equally separates us from God, though? Yeah, I do. That doesn't mean there's equal consequences for every sin. If you murder someone, there are different consequences than there are for lying. We get that, right? Does everybody understand that? But all sin separates you from God. So before you climb up on a high horse, you're like, I knew it. I knew those people. Tell any lies? Been greedy? Got anything you're prioritizing above God? Because then you're an idolater. All of us need to take this conversation as an opportunity to check ourselves and see where we really are in our relationship with God. I think it matters. I think it matters a lot. So what do we do? We leave from here, you're like, okay, I think I understood some of that. I don't even think, Kevin, you understood all of that. What do I do? As you have conversations with people, again, we want to speak truth in a loving way. And if you can't do that, if you can't be loving as you speak truth, maybe you should just sit this one out until you get to that place. If you're somebody who's out spewing hate, you're not helping. At the same time, if you're just going with the flow because you don't want to be canceled, you don't want to be left out, you don't want to be on the outside, my friend, you're also doing damage in this conversation by not being willing to step up and have it. If you or someone you know is in this place of being same-sex attracted or having questions about your gender, and again, statistically, somebody in this room, I'm talking to you. We love you. We're glad you're here. Please don't hear anything that I've said tonight as, you got to get out of here. Don't you ever come back. There's nowhere I'd rather you be. And again, if I'm talking about a friend or a family member, there's nowhere I'd rather them be. I'm not trying to score points off them or dunk on them, condemn them, none of that. All of us have something that we're struggling with, and we need to submit it to the lordship of Christ. Can't we just agree to disagree? I just love my friends. I just want to love them. I'm like, here's the hard line. No, we can't. Because it said these people won't inherit the kingdom of God on that whole list that we looked at. This is a matter of eternity. This is a matter of spending forever with Jesus or forever apart from him. This does matter. And if you just want to sit on the sidelines because it's difficult, I'm just telling you, you might be missing the conversation that God's trying to get you to step into. Uh, I'm going to recommend some resources to you in a minute. I want to read a quote from one of them. Uh, this is by a guy. I'll go ahead and actually put it up on the screen. Uh, this is my favorite resource that I would recommend if you want to read more about some of this stuff. This is a book called Is God Anti-Gay? And Other Questions About Homosexuality, the Bible, and Same-Sex Attraction. Sam Alberry is a pastor over in England. Uh, he, by his own admission, is same-sex attracted. And he actually writes in this book and says, if anybody is motivated to try to make the scriptures say what I, you know, I want them to say, it's me. I can't do it. The scriptures are very clear. And so this is a man who lives a life of celibacy. He talks in here about having to guard his male friendships to make sure he doesn't establish romantic feelings for them. It, it, this is a fascinating book. It's under 100 pages. You can definitely read it. But I think this is so helpful. This is uh, from the back end of the book here says, key to helping people feel safe about sharing issues of same-sex attraction is having a culture of openness about the struggles and weaknesses we experience in general in the Christian life. 
If we want our friends and our family and our loved ones to be able to come to us and say, I'm struggling with this, we've got to be willing to give that gift of going first and say, hey, here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm imperfect. Here's something that I'm having to lay at the feet of Jesus and ask for help with. Because we all have something. Would highly, highly, highly recommend this book. This is the resource I would recommend most. Uh, in a similar vein, this is a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. Uh, he's up in North Carolina. This is a book that is called, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality? Uh, it's in two parts. The first part is all about understanding God's word. The second part is a lot of what I've done tonight, which is answering objections. Um, so would recommend that as well. Uh, and then lastly, if you want to uh, read a little bit more about sex or gender, this is a book that normally I don't do this. Normally I don't recommend books I've not read in their entirety. So I've read both of those. Highly recommend. J.C. Thompson, who's our family pastor, gave me this this week. I read uh, about half of the book. Uh, but it's called Embodied, Living as a Whole People in a Fractured World. And there are some really, really good pieces, some chapters in here that I think are helpful in this conversation. If you are interested in any of these books or in further conversation, let me just invite you. Come see me tonight after. You can go to group uh, and come see me after. You can come see me before. Um, it's difficult to have this conversation one-sided from not a stage, but you know what I mean. I'm up here. You're sitting there. If you want to talk more about it, if you're like, I don't think you were hard enough, I don't think you pushed enough, come, let's talk about it. If you're like, I think you were too mean, I think you were too, let's talk about it. That's how we're going to be able to see some change happen. Not going out in the street and screaming with a bullhorn or holding up signs. Loving conversations with people where we're going to speak truth and we're not going to shy away from it, but we're going to do it in a loving way. Oh boy, I'm nervous to listen to this one back later. All right, let me pray for us and we're going to go to groups. God, we love you. We believe that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, I just confess right in front of all these people, I have things that I struggle with and I am still every day having to lay them at your feet. God, I thank you that you are faithful to forgive, that you love no matter what. God, if there's one person in this room who is struggling with some of what we've talked about tonight, experiencing some gender dysphoria, feeling some same-sex attraction, and has no idea where to go, where to have a conversation, who they can turn to, God, would you just open up an avenue for them to begin to have a conversation, God? Remind them that you love them, that you are for them and not against them. God, as we leave from this place and try to have conversations first in our small groups and then maybe as we go home and into our schools in just a few weeks, would you help us to saturate our words with your grace, to speak your truth in a loving way. And we do love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.